trust that you do. If you can open with me this morning to two different places, Genesis chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 6. Genesis chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 6. And welcome to week 2 of a series that has us walking through the Apostles' Creed, which is the oldest of the Christian creeds. This creed, although not written by the Apostles, um, is a summary of what the, the Apostles taught and what they believed. Um, as we said last week, we know that this room is filled with different experiences concerning creeds, meaning some of you grew up in churches where every single week you would recite creeds and recite the Apostles' Creed. Others of you grew up in churches where every week you heard or you saw witnessed um, through actions um, the idea, no creeds but the Bible, and let's not recite creeds, that's bad. And um, for those of you who are still kind of uneasy about this series, let me just reiterate that we have, or I have no intention of preaching this creed. Um, I instead want to use this creed to point us to the doctrines of this book and to the Word of God. And as we said last week, creeds do not hold any authority um, in and of themselves, but rather what creeds do is they point us um, to the authority of the Word of God, which is where we are going each week. And let me just say this. Reciting the Apostles' Creed was never meant just to be a, a boring religious ritual. In, in fact, think about this. The first believers said this creed with tears in their eyes as they were going down into the baptismal uh, waters. For them, it was personal. It was heartfelt. For them, it was precious to be able to declare what they believed. When the early church as we said last week, recited this creed, it was simultaneously their greatest act of allegiance. They were joining together saying, this is what we believe. But at the same time, it was their greatest act of rebellion. In one sense, they were saying yes to the maker of heaven and earth. In another sense, they were saying no to all the other powers that tried to lay, lay claim on their lives. They were saying no to the message of the world, to what the world was declaring. They were saying, no, we will not accept that. We will not receive that. We will believe what this word, what God himself says. And further, when we think about this, the creed helped new believers, and of course it helps us all to know the core beliefs of the Christian faith, for it highlights the main points of Christian doctrine, what we would um, hold together. And think about this, in a world in which we live that is so desperate for the gospel, the church, we need to find ways to rally together under what matters most. And what matters most is the gospel. What matters most is is. God and worshiping him and making sure that what we declare lines up with with this so we need to find ways to to keep that which is the main thing the main thing so we want to keep the main thing the main thing and the the creed helps us to do that and so last week we began with the words I believe I believe and as we said Christian belief is not about jumping um, out of light that we're in into some form of darkness of the unknown and calling it Christianity. No, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is jumping out of the darkness of our own sin and jumping into the light of God and into all that he gives to us. And as we begin this series, I should have said this last week, but let me just lay this out here. It's important for me to say that we as a church do not believe in incantations and incantations and what I mean by that is this we do not believe that reciting words of a creed or even just reciting words of a prayer 
will earn anyone personal salvation. We don't believe that. We don't believe that just saying words will save people. Now, people believe that, just recite this prayer or say these words and you're saved. That's not, we don't believe we earn salvation with words. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. We believe that Jesus earned our salvation. That's what we believe. He earned our salvation. We don't earn our salvation. Jesus earned it. Therefore, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that he is who this word says he is and he has done what this word says he did. And he did it for us. So this morning we come to the phrase, God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And I love this because this creed starts where the Bible itself starts, where the Bible begins, which is with God. That's where the Bible starts, and not just a God that is transcendent or sovereign over all of his creation, but a God who is also tenderly near to us. Yes, our God is creator, but let me just say this. He is also father. He is our Father, I love what Ray Pritchard, Pastor Ray Pritchard said. He put it this way. He is almighty. He can do anything he wants to do. He is our father. He will do all that is necessary for our well-being. He is almighty. He can. He is our father. He will. Isn't that good? He is almighty. He can. He is our father, which means he will. He will do that which is necessary for our well-being. So this morning, we're going to dive into this creed and um, to the Word of God, which connects these two words, Father Almighty. So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you are able. And the first thing we're going to do is recite the creed together, and then we're going to jump into the verses that I asked you to find at the beginning. So we're going to recite this creed together just to remind ourselves what it is that connects us together. And let me just remind you again, as I said last week, that there are um, two little issues that we're going to touch on. Um, the first is when we say that Jesus descended into hell. That's going to be a fun week that we're going to walk through. But also when, we, when it says the Holy Catholic Church, is, it is not referencing the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic means universal. So we are part of the universal, global, historical church, as we said last week. So let's recite this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And let's also turn now to Genesis 1, and we're just going to read verse 1 and then flip over to Matthew 6. So Genesis 1, 1, and unpacking this picture of God, our Father, um, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now, if we can turn to Matthew chapter 6, so Matthew chapter 6, and we're just going to look at verses 8 and 9. These are the words of Christ, and he says this beginning at verse 8. Do not be like them, for your father, your father, knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray together. Father, oh Father, we come before you today. Lord, just show us today the beauty of just, just that word, Lord, and that reality that you are our Father. But also, Lord, show us that the hope and the confidence of being able to say that you are our creator and our sustainer, that, that gives to us. Lord, just lead us into your word, God. As we use this creed, Lord, this creed is pointing us to the authority of your word, God. Lord, just lead us there. Just show us, illuminate truth to us by your spirit. And Lord, help us today, God, not just to shake our head in agreement at your word. Lord, help us to obey it. Help us to do what it says. Lord, help us to come to see you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So what I want to do is I want to spend the next uh, few minutes trying to convince you from the Word of God that our God, this God of, of this book, is an infinitely powerful and intensely personal Father. That He is infinitely powerful but also intensely personal we have two thoughts that this creed puts together that summarize who God is. He is powerful, but yet he is also personal. He is our creator, but he is our father. And now let me just say this. It was, it was not uncommon in the first century for pagan people to claim that their God was also a father. The people of Rome considered Zeus to be their father. He was a powerful father to them, but um, he was not a personal or an intimate father at all. So what Jesus is doing, and when we think about Matthew 6, is he continually places the power of God right alongside um, the personal nature of God as father. Jesus doesn't talk about God as this Zeus-like um, creature. You know, if you remember, Zeus was the kind of father that you did not want to mess with. So you did not want to play around with Zeus, and let me just say that Zeus is this mythical um, mythological God, of course, but the people of Rome believed that Zeus was um, always waiting with his lightning bolt in hand for people to mess up. And whenever they messed up, zap! He would, he would zap them, and that was their personal view of Zeus. So he was powerful in their minds, yes, but he was not personal. He was not one. When you messed up, there was not second chances. There was not mercy and grace. There was a lightning bolt and it hurt. But that's not the picture that Jesus gives us when he points us to God as Father. And what I want us to see today is there is a tenderness to our God that is personal, intensely personal. And he alone is described that way. Yet, he is powerful. He is powerfully tender. He is powerfully good. And he is the powerful creator and sustainer of us all. So what I want to do is using this creed and, and this phrase, God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I want us to um, work backwards through this section. And we're going to begin with the creation and then um, end with this picture of God as our 
Father. So the first truth we're going to unpack together is this. God is our powerful creator. He is our powerful creator. If I were to ask you this morning what the most powerful four-word phrase in the Bible is, I'm sure I would probably get some pretty good or amazing answers. You might say, I am the way. What a powerful four-word phrase that is. Maybe you've had a bad week at work or maybe at home and yours would be, thou shalt not kill. So maybe, maybe that would be where you would go. Or maybe you would say, do not be anxious. What a powerful phrase that is. There are so many four-word phrases that have such deep significance. But personally, I believe that the first four words of the Bible, the first four words, in the beginning, God, are the most important four-word phrase because they lay the foundation for everything else that we will read in the Bible. They lay the foundation for what the Bible is about, and it is about God. And if the story is about God, it only makes sense that he dominates the first four words and everything else in it. He is the origin of all things. He's the creator of all things. Just look at what that means. When we think about God as creator, when we think about what the word of God says about creation, two things begin to rise to the surface. The first is this. The universe was fashioned by the word of God. The universe was fashioned by the word of God. So if God was on site before anything else was, and he was, then the universe and everything in the universe must be seen it must be understood in a certain way, and that is God's way. So everything must be seen, understood God's way. I love what Hebrews 11.3 says. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. When we think about Genesis 1, creation according to Genesis 1 was brought forth by the word of God eight times. Eight different times in Genesis 1, we read the words, God said, in, in referencing creation, God said, God said, God said. And let me just remind us, when God said, it happened. So it happened, God said it happened. So God created out of nothing everything that is not God. And just think about this. Let me blow your mind for just a second. We cannot even think about nothing. And in fact, let me prove it to you. Just real quick, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about nothing. And see, you, right now you're thinking about something black and black is something, so therefore um, that's, not, that's not nothing. Or you're thinking about space and of course that's something, so there, we can't, so open your eyes, we can't even think about nothing and yet God created everything out of what we can't even think about. This is the picture of the power of our great God. The first sound uttered in the universe was the voice of God commanding, let there be. And just so we know, there was. Out of the invisible came, or invisible came the visible. Out of nothing came everything. And let me just remind you that Genesis 1 does not give us the ultimate beginning of all things. Genesis 1 only gives us the beginning of the world that we live in, and us, but it does not give us the beginning of God because God has always been. Just let me put it this way. Before the world was formed, God was. Before the sun, the moon, the stars lit up the sky, God was. Before the first flower bloomed, God was. Before the first 
fruit was on the tree God was. Before the first um, wing of an eagle flapped, or before the first gill of a fish opened, God was. Before the first golden sunset, or before the first drop of water, or before the first um, blowing a gust of wind, God was. Before Adam experienced breath in his lungs, or before he experienced grass beneath his feet, or light in his eyes, or taste on his tongue, or sound in his ears, before all of that, God was. Before Adam laid his eyes on Eve, and before they walked, talked, laughed, and loved, God was. Before the first anything, and before everything, God was. And just think about this. Because God was, everything is. Because God was, everything is. God spoke it and it happened. The universe was fashioned by the word of God. But then the second truth that bubbles up here is this. The universe is sustained by the power of God. So the universe is sustained by the power of God. I love what Psalm 33 does because it puts these two truths together. Verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. It's what we just read. And then verse 9 says, For he spoke, and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. Meaning, we believe that everything in creation stands firm because of the power of God to sustain his creation. God does not simply create and then walk away from his creation. God constantly sustains that which he creates. God is continuously at work in every aspect and in every moment of our lives. As scripture says in Hebrews uh, um, 1, and of course it's talking about Christ there, but it says he upholds the universe by the word of his power, holds it all together. And just think about the universe that we live in and just think about the reality of us. One thing is uh, for certain. The created world of which we are a part of is absolutely, mind-blowingly complex. So complex. The most basic molecules and then DNA strands are so intricate. Enough that you... And I are probably led to wonder how could a cosmic accident ever result in the complex beauty of a DNA strand? How in the world could that ever happen? If you want more information on that, talk to the professor. Um, He will be glad to to let you know that. But just think think about that. Thinking that all of the intricate beauty and complexities that we have in our creation just happen by chance is like thinking of an explosion in an ink factory. And from that accidental explosion produced all the collected works of Shakespeare. Just think about that. That would be absurd to think about. There was an explosion, and we have all the works of Shakespeare from that explosion. We would think, you are absolutely out of your mind. But yet, we have people that live in our world that will tell us that about the created world that we live in. But think about it. Even in recent years, scientists have begin, begun to make a very big deal about how um, finely tuned our universe Um, seems to be in order to sustain life. Just take, for example, the makeup of our atmosphere. It's made up of 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.5% argon, and 0.03% carbon dioxide. What we are told, if some of those levels were off just slightly, the earth would either, either become an oven 
and bake us all or would have, we'd have no atmosphere at all. Or if the level of oxygen just dropped by 6%, we would suffocate. If it rose by 4%, we would, or this world that we live in, this earth that we live in, would erupt in a giant fireball. So just think about that. And then, of course, there's Jupiter, which might not be a big deal to us today, but it, Jupiter just so happens um, to shield us from 99% of the asteroids. We are told that if Jupiter was not in the place that it was, that there would be 10,000, um, 10, the number of asteroid strikes here on Earth. Let that sink in for just a second. In case you're not following with me, just let that sink in for just a second. The beauty is not only has our God created it all the way it is complex, he also powerfully and personally sustains it all. If he were to take his hand off creation for just a moment, it would all erupt into chaos. Yet he sustains that which he has created, and he sustains it beautifully. He sustains it. He is our powerful creator. But then that leads us to the second truth, which is this. He is our personal father. God is our personal father. And before we dive in, I want us to flesh out a truth concerning the fatherhood of God that is not popular in our world today. In fact, you might, maybe you're here and you won't even like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it based on the authority of God's word, and that is this. Not everyone in this world is a child of God. God. We hear it all the time. We're all just children of God. We're all just children of God. No, everyone is a creation of God. Everyone is here because God created you, but not everyone in this world is a child of God. To call God father means there is a relationship. He cannot be your father if you refuse to come to him for who he is. It just cannot happen. The only people who are able to call God father are those who have been born again. Those who have been born again, those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Therefore, we're, we're not born into the family of God. We are born again into the family of God. We're born again because of what Christ did. We're born again by the indwelling Spirit of God by which we become sons and daughters of God. Therefore, church, hear this. When we use that expression and say everyone is a child of God, we cheapen what Christ has done. And we basically say they don't have to accept Christ. They don't have to acknowledge Christ. They still get God as their Father, and it's not true. It's not true. Don't belittle what Christ has done for us. Don't belittle that. Don't belittle that because of Christ did what he did, we are able to be sons and daughters of God. Do you understand what it means to be a child of God? Do you, do you make much of being a child of God? I love what J.I. Packer said. He said this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means that they do not understand Christianity very well at all. So just think about what it means to say that he is our personal father. What it means is, number one, our father knows us intimately. He knows us intimately Although there is a God who is our powerful creator, he is not emotionally um, detached from us 
as if he's emotionless to everything that we go through. No, we come to an intimate father, a good father. And when we come to him and we say, our father, we are saying, God, you know us, you see us, you hear us, you understand all that we go through and you care for us as your children. Through the words of Christ in Matthew 6, we come to understand the most important truth of the universe, that God, our God, is a father to us. Just think about that. Psalm 139.3 says, you, speaking of God, are acquainted with all of our ways. You're acquainted, God, with all of our ways. God knows us. Oh, how he knows us. He knows every part of us. Pastor David Jeremiah put it this way. Our God knows what we're going through. He knows every minute of our pain and suffering. He not only knows what we feel, he knows why we feel what we feel. He knows how it happened and how long it's going to last and how intense it is. He knows every emotion emotion associated with it. And when we are going through difficult times, there will be times where all we can say is, Father, you know. Father, you know. And God's knowledge of us shouldn't make us turn from him. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this concerning the Father. He knows what we need before we even ask. He knows us. He knows what we need before we even ask. And therefore, because of that, we pray to him and we say, Our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God's knowledge of us should lead us to continually turn to him because he knows us. He knows our needs. He's acquainted with everything that we are walking through in this life. We cannot escape his gaze upon us, and thankfully we cannot escape his concern for us. Not only does God see us and know us, get this, brothers and sisters, he cares for us. He cares for us. So because God is omniscient, he is all-knowing, there is nothing about our lives that he does not know perfectly. Yet greater still, that leads us to the second truth, which is this. Our Father loves us extravagantly. Our Father loves us extravagantly. Just listen to what the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, see or behold what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And then he says this, and so we are. We're not only called children of God, we are children of God. And then in verse 16 he says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. John, don't miss this. John is so amazed by the reality that he is called, and not just called, but he is a child of God. So John is, in essence, in John chapter, 1 John 3, 1, John is shouting, saying, look at this. Behold, don't miss this. Don't miss how great God's love is. In the Greek, it literally means this. Look, there is a love that is utterly unknown to us. It's not like human love. It's alien love. It's a love that human experience doesn't really know. It's a love that is outside of us. It's beyond us. It's above us, yet it is available to us. Just think about this. We will never fully experience the depth of God's love until we understand the kind of love that he loves us with. 
just follow with me, a love that makes a way for him to call us, who the Bible calls, before Christ, the Bible calls us children of wrath. A love that makes a way for God to call us, who were children of wrath, his children. Let that sink in for a second, brothers and sisters. You who were children of wrath, me who was a child of wrath, and now by his grace, a child of God. We are children of God. And we're not just children of God, we are dearly loved children of God. How many of you had the opportunity on Friday to watch the, the funeral service for Billy Graham? If you were able to watch that, it was just a beautiful service that gave praise to God. But all the children got up to speak, and one of the daughters, um, Ruth, got up to speak. And um, she was probably one of the most unassuming, but she spoke. And, of course, I'm, I'm not a, uh, afraid to admit I cried, and I cried, and I cried because here's what she said. Maybe we don't know this, but she had gone through two divorces. She had divorced her husband after 21 years and then um, went right into a relationship that even though her father and mother um, told her no, and it wasn't a good idea, even her children were against it, she went ahead um, and moved forward in it. She said within a week she knew it was a bad idea. And, of course, it ended. And she said she was broken. And she said, you know, she, she said from a female's perspective, you never want to embarrass or upset your father but especially you never want to upset Billy Graham or embarrass Billy Graham. So she said, as she's driving back home, she's wondering, I have, I have just upset my family. I've, I've embarrassed my family. How will I be received? And she said, as she's heading to the house, the very last turn, she drove up, and there her father was standing outside. And she said, the first thing he said was, welcome home. And th then she said this, my father was not God, but that day he showed me how much God loves me. Amen. And don't miss the way that God loves us. The way that God, where we do our own thing, we, God says no, and we say yes, and we mess ourselves up. And we're not quite sure once we mess up how God is going to receive us, yet there he is with open arms saying, welcome home, I love you. Our Father loves us extravagantly. And then third, our Father attends to us endlessly. He attends to us endlessly. It doesn't stop. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So because of that, we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Don't miss this, brothers and sisters. God will not leave us. He will not abandon us. And get this, he will not disown us. And just think about the condition of our hearts before Christ. So This is the condition of our hearts before Christ. Before Christ, our hearts know extreme loneliness. Our hearts know bitterness. Our hearts know a loss of self-worth. Our hearts know unworthiness. Our hearts know self-pity. And our hearts need to be attended to. Our hearts need to feel love and hope and security. Our hearts need to be sought after. And here's the question, where are we going to get that from? Is there anyone who knows us for what we are and yet loves us anyway? 
Is there anyone who can lift us up and give us value? Is there anyone who can really promise that they will not leave us and still keep their word? He can. Our Heavenly Father can. He can. And even greater news, He's made those promises to us. He has promised to never leave us and never forsake us. Feel the depths of that this morning. Don't miss that today. It's essential that we rejoice in who He is to us. He is our intimate Father He is the kind of father that loves to meet the needs of his children. As as Frank mentioned earlier, if we love doing good for our children, how much more does he love doing good for us? Yet, let's end this way. We are often tempted to not see God as a good and gracious father, but to see him as our rival or to see him as one who withholds good from us. So in closing, what I want to do is I want to show you two verses from the life of Christ where Christ himself was tempted to question the goodness of his father. One at the beginning of his ministry and one at the close of his mission, which shows us the realness of this temptation. And just think about this. If Christ was tempted to doubt the goodness of his father, do we think we'll be any less tempted? No, we're going to be tempted to doubt. In fact, turn with me real quick to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I want you to just see something. Don't miss this. In Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, it says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, here's the understatement of the Bible, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, don't miss these words, if you are the son of God, if God is your father, then he says this, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What Satan is suggesting here could be worded this way. Has God really said that you are his beloved son in whom he is well pleased? Well, if you are his son, and if God is so pleased with you, then why hasn't he given you food to eat? Why do you have to starve in the wilderness if you are God's son? I mean, if God is well pleased with you, then why are you in such a terrible place and why are you hungry? In essence, what Satan was saying in this moment, Satan was saying, if you're God's son, then why are you hungry? Why is God not providing for you? If God is such a good father to you, if he, if he is pleased with you so much, then why is he withholding something from you? So the temptation is, could he trust his father to be good? And now turn to Matthew 27. So in Matthew 27, Matthew 27, we have a picture of Jesus on the cross. So Matthew 27, and we're going to look at verses 39 through 40. When you get there, Look at what it says, verse 39. And those who passed by derided him. So Jesus is on the cross, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. And then hear this. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So here Satan is using people who pass by the cross to say, 
if you are God's son, then how could this happen to you? Oh, how we are tempted, brothers and sisters, to look at our circumstances, to look at our difficulties, and to question whether God is really good. And that temptation is alive and well even today. Even today, have you this week questioned the goodness of your Heavenly Father? Maybe you are walking through something, brothers and sisters, and it's not good. I'm not going to lie to you and say, it's good. No, it's not good. What you're walking through is not good. But maybe in walking through things that aren't good, you are tempted to question whether God is good. Here's the reality, brothers and sisters. My circumstances might not be good, but God is good. God is good. Maybe this week you've questioned the love of your heavenly Father. Maybe you've questioned the sustaining power of your creator. Maybe you feel like your life is unraveling and you're wondering what God is, is doing. And according to the word of God, God is still sustaining us. He is our creator. And then as our father, get this, we have not been left as orphans. We have a heavenly Father who is good, who is gracious, who is giving, and who is ours. He is ours. Therefore, let us stand in awe of who he is. He is our creator, and he is our Father. And let us come eagerly like little children, knowing our God is powerful and able, and he is our good, good Father. Let us see him today for who he is. Let us not miss that for a moment. He is our powerful creator. He is our personal father. I'm going to ask you, if you can, to stand with me now. We're going to call the musicians forward, and we're going to enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever God is telling you to do, that you would respond. And I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we thank you that you are our creator, sustainer, and you are our father. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room today, God, that has never turned from their sin and never turned from trusting themselves and never turned to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And because of that, they are not children of God. But I'm asking, Lord, and pleading today, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and allow them today, this moment, God, if they hear their vo your voice today, not to harden their hearts, but this moment, to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. To call upon the name of the Lord and to find in you a good, good Father. Oh God, I pray that you would take that which is wayward and call them home. Father, and I just pray for those in this room this week that have been tempted to question, oh God, your goodness as our Father or your sustaining power and our creator, that you would in this moment help us to repent of that and help us, Lord, to understand how good of a father you are to us. And Lord, sometimes we will go through bad circumstances, but even in our bad circumstances, you remain good. And according to your word, you are working even those bad circumstances together for our good and for your glory. God, I pray today, Lord, that you would be with that one, Lord, that might be in the service today. And Lord, help them to 
not stay away from you, but to return to you and hear those words, welcome home. God, we thank you for those words. And even more than that, we thank you for who you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen.